again and welcome to the SBC History Podcast, the podcast about the people, places, and events of the Southern Baptist Convention. So glad you are here to join us today. We have a very special guest, Dr. Kevin Smith. He is the director of the Maryland-Delaware Baptist Convention, is here to talk to us about the history of the National Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, how all those things work together. Thanks so much for being here today, Dr. Smith. My pleasure. I love to talk about uh, history of God's people. Yeah, well, uh, give us a little brief bio about yourself, if you can. Uh, I'm from the Washington, D.C. area, and I uh, went to college in Hampton, Virginia. Uh, did my master's study in Chattanooga, Tennessee area uh, at Church of God Theological Seminary while planning a church there with the uh, Tennessee Baptist Convention. Uh, in Chattanooga, we where my wife is from. Uh, we've been married almost 30 years. I married a Tennessee girl, right. and uh, we have two sons, a daughter, and raised two nephews for a while. And I uh, pastored in Tennessee and Kentucky, and I came here to the Merlin Delaware Convention from uh, the Highview Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And how long have you been there? And I've been here almost four years. And before that, I taught for about 15 years at Southern in Louisville. Okay. Now, uh, when you did your master's work and and further work, what was your area of focus? Uh, Baptist history. Okay. Uh, looking at African-American Baptists uh, in, a, well, yeah, in America, looking at African-American Baptists kind of in the scope of Baptist history. <clears throat> well, we know the Southern Baptist Convention uh, started off uh, as a result of a split with slavery and um, uh, over slavery. I know at the time of the split, there were a lot of African-Americans in, in SBC churches, although most of them were slaves. What happened to what happened to those men and women in churches after the end of the Civil War and all that? Well, um, I have a little bit of a timeline in a um, chapter in a, uh, I think you call it Fest Swift, to, uh, in yeah. honor of Dr. Tom's nettles. Uh, yeah. It's called Distracted Piety, African-American Baptist. So if we will... Um, if we think before the Southern Baptist Convention, so before 1845, uh, black Baptists were generally, and black Christians in general, but particularly for us, black Baptists were in three categories. Um, I called them balcony Baptists, meaning they were either segregated in a congregation in the South and in the balcony, or plantation Baptists, meaning that uh, a master might have a congregation that he had set up and appointed a pastor there on the congregation uh, of, of slaves. And either um, if there was one that was trained or one that was capable, there might be a slave preacher. Mm-hmm. Or after the morning service with the uh, white Baptists in the Baptist church, then the minister might go out to the plantation and preach to the slaves there. Um, in that particular gathering. And then the third kind of uh, gathering would have been kind of what, what is called the invisible institution where slaves would uh, sneak off and gather in places of their own on their own worship. So that was kind of the landscape um, up until uh, emancipation. And so certainly included within that would be 1845 and the founding of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, after emancipation, there's a uh, kind of a period of, um, 
I guess you might call a false expectation. Uh, now that emancipation has taken place, whatever life was like for us in our congregation or in our association before, um, before uh, emancipation, maybe things will be different now. Um, after that did not come to pass, obviously, uh, then other, um, other things begin to happen. Uh, organizations begin, congregations begin to organize, independent congregations, um, so, and then they would uh, organize associations, and then eventually they would organize state conventions. It'd be a variety of state conventions. Um, and all of this would kind of coalesce in, 18, in the 1890s, which would lead to the 1896 founding, 1895 founding of the National Baptist Convention. Um, you know, sadly, uh, if you look at documents, uh, obviously the New Hampshire Confession would have been uh, popular at that time. Uh, so there would have been no theological um, distinctions between uh, white and black Baptists uh, in the 19th century. And even before the Southern Baptist Convention, if you go back to 1814, uh, if you think about the Triennial Convention, um, they would have had the same kind of missions thrust uh, uh, as a justification for their existence. You know, why are we cooperating together? Even some of the language we use today in Southern Baptist, like why are we cooperating together? They would have said for the sake of missions. Now, um, uh, many of them uh, being uh, Africans who were enslaved and still had memories of their homeland, a lot of their thrust and attention would have been uh, taking the gospel back to the African continent and um, areas in that, th in that, in that zone. But uh, missions would have been the thrust. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me share. Here's a, here's a quote from kind of the founding rally of the uh, National Baptist Convention. This would have been around 1895. Uh, but I want you to notice how similar it, would, it sounds to any kind of missions quote that we would think of even today. Um, this would be from an Alexander Moore, who would have been the pastor of the Antioch Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. He says, quote, brethren, if we are ever to make a success of our convention or of our denominational work, we must lay aside all selfishness and work from love to God and to poor suffering humanity. Think of the millions of precious souls who without God and without hope are rapidly passing into a long, long eternity, end quote. That could have just as easily come from any SBC leader today. That could come from any leader today. <clears throat> um, and so early missions would have been that thrust. I think, um, so let's just say post-emancipation, uh, yeah. post-Civil War, um, it's kind of spotty. Yeah. with the relationship between uh, what then would have been black Baptists or independent Baptists and those who are in the Southern Baptist convention. Uh, sometimes depending on personal relationships, there were some associations uh, that some Southern Baptist associations that would have, would have had a black uh, congregation in them uh, would have had members of uh, uh, freedmen or former slaves and had that congregation in the association. You can see, evidence of that sometimes spotted throughout minutes of uh, 19th century associations. Uh, but generally, um, two things kind of dread, kind of drove the motivation towards the founding of what would eventually be the National Baptist Convention. Uh, one thing would have been kind of a, um, 
a freed men's, what I call a freed men's mentality, where a uh, former slave would say, hey, let us show that we can have an independent congregation, an independent association, an independent convention. Let us show we have the same New Testament mm -hmm. biblical commitments of our, of our brethren. Um, and then secondly, uh, the second would have been more relational, just those who had perhaps been in those previous uh, segregated situations thinking that congregational life would have been radically different at the emancipation, and then it wasn't. And so then they also uh, left out. But again, um, you know, the, 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 the mission, missiological tragedy is, again, the same confession would have held fast, the New Hampshire, and the same missions thrust, Great Commission, Acts 1-8 would have held fast um, with the motivation there. And so in 1895, uh, E.C. Morris mm -hmm. is the first president of the National uh, Baptist Convention. And who were, you mentioned Morris, who were some of the other men and women kind of foundational in the early days of the NBC? And uh, E.C. Morris would have been the first president uh, Let's see, W.H., uh, uh, which is William Henry. But in that day, uh, preachers always went by their first and yeah. uh, by their initials. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so S.E. Griggs, uh, which was a Texas pastor. W.H. Uh, Jordan was from Mississippi. Uh, R. Kansan was uh, E.C. Morris, I mentioned. And I think one of the more prominent uh, sisters would have been um, Nanny Helen Burroughs, who would have been right. a contemporary of Annie Armstrong, right. um, uh, of our uh, uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Um, and she would have been in the Washington, D.C. area. And she was also very instrumental in the founding of something that's kind of, uh, you know, traditional through a lot of uh, black, uh, certainly Baptist churches, but even beyond Baptist black churches, which would yeah. be Women's Day. Yeah. Um, celebration of the gifts and the contributions of women to the body of Christ, that particular local congregation. So uh, those are some names that are prominently uh, important. And then, of course, later in the 19th century, um, I mean, excuse me, later in the 20th century, uh, names like uh, Gardner Taylor and Martin Luther King would have came into play with the split with the uh, progressive National Baptist Convention um, over some disagreements about uh, methodology regarding interaction with the civil rights movement in the 50s and the 60s. But between the, um, uh, let, me, let me make a hundred year jump and then go back okay. somewhere. All right. So if there were freedmen motivations and if there were bruised relationships coming out of emancipation uh -huh. that led to independence, there would not have been a lot of what you would call black interaction and in, quote, Southern Baptist life. Right. However, I already mentioned there were scattered congregations that were part of local associations. So if we go from the 1860s to the 1960s. You know, that's 100 years right. of um, where there really wasn't a lot of strong interaction. And then we can note in the 1950s going over to the 60s where um, as part of the push for integration, as part of the thrust of what's going on in the civil rights movement, you begin to have early African-American congregations, again, engaging in Southern Baptist life, um, yeah. spreading from the South, but some things also, you know, uh, also spreading from the West. Uh, when I was in my 20s, 
and we would go to places like Ridgecrest, a lot of the uh, older black people uh, that I met that had been instrumental in Southern Baptist life were like people, they, they came from places like California right. and uh, Texas and stuff like that. So it was a little bit of a Western and Southwestern influence as, uh, um, as well. Uh, obviously, that's a question I had about the National Baptist Convention. The it, it, it was more nationally based than the SBC, which is traditionally in the South. But National Baptist Convention had churches all over. It did have churches all over, and um, that eighteen ninety six coming together, the National Baptist Convention USA. Uh, by then, that would have been the combination of, say, three to four regional yeah. kind of large bodies. So one might have been northeastern, one might have been northwestern, uh, one uh, one or two would have been deep south. But yeah, those would have it would have been national. But it, it was national because it was it was the coming together of those more regional type bodies. Uh, but I do want to note a partnership yeah. um, between 1924. And the 80s, after we had a reorganization after the conservative resurgence, uh, National Baptists and Southern Baptists did have a partnership around theological education uh-huh. focused on American Baptist College in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh-huh. Uh, now, I think all that property in the school and all that belongs to the National Baptist Convention. But at one time, that was... Uh, property and things that were Southern Baptist in partnership with the National Baptist Convention. Uh, my late pastor who uh, ordained me was a graduate of American Baptist College there in Nashville. And so his professors doing Bible college would have been National Baptist and Southern Baptist. They were working together for that theological partnership. And so if you say, uh, I mean, if you say 24 to 84, that would have been at least 60 years of uh, theological partnership with National Baptists and Southern Baptists based there in um, in Nashville, Tennessee. What other what other people were instrumental in those partnerships uh, on both sides from the NBC and the SBC? Who were instrumental in making that happen? Usually, um, um, and you know, sometimes we we, we don't did. Uh, after the conservative resurgence, many things changed with um, all of our denominational leadership. But actually, during the civil rights movement, um, what was then the Christian Life Committee was actually pretty uh, intentional in things of ra- what they would have called racial unity or reconciliation. You know, you can go back and see the SBC pass. Yes, SBC passing uh, resolutions and things like that in the. 50s and the 60s. So uh, that would have usually been the spear point. And then also um, Henley Barnett, who was an ethics professor at the uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. Um, But obviously, um, for those things to take place at the national convention level, um, uh, whoever was convention president or executive committee president would have also been um, in line with those things. But the the Christian Life Committee was very active in those in those matters. I've read, I'm from, I'm from Oklahoma City originally. I read that E.W. Perry was the first African-American to address the Southern Baptist Convention. That was in Oklahoma City that year, 1940. Ah, uh, you know okay, yeah. No, I don't. But I do know there's a rich history of, um, 
uh, I think they used to call, uh, yeah, they use the term fraternal greetings. Um, It was a rich history of when the National Baptist Convention met, uh, wherever they met, someone from the Southern Baptist Convention would bring greetings and maybe share a sermon. And likewise with the uh, uh, Southern Baptist Convention, whenever they met. I mean, people like E.V. Hill had preached at the yeah. Southern Baptist Convention, um, Samuel Proctor, uh, j- just just a, a variety of preachers. Um, uh, matter of fact, yeah, I mean, if you talk to uh, somebody today uh, walking around the Southern Baptist Convention who is yeah. um, uh, uh, 70 years older yeah. or 60 years older, they can tell you about when they were little, when they were younger, they could tell you about these national Baptist preachers that came to the Southern Baptist convention, uh, kind of fraternal greetings, ex- exchanging with one another. The, uh, I'm on the historical commission for Oklahoma. We have some real to reels. We'll, we're converting. And one of them is of E.W. Perry preaching at the state evangelism conference in Oklahoma. We're digitizing that. So Hopefully in a few months, hope to have that out. I don't know that there's audio of him, much audio of him preaching out there. I've never heard, but I'm uh, looking forward to do it. No, I, I look forward to the day when um, people leave Southern Baptist Convention meetings again talking about preaching. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. There has been some some epic sermons over the years. So who are... Uh, you mentioned some of those men. Who are some others? If somebody wants to dig into that, either written sermons or video or audio, who are people we should be looking at to learn from? Um, several were in Brooklyn, New York, like uh, the late Dr. Sandy Ray, mm-hmm. uh, certainly Dr. Gardner Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, one uh, who passed it in Brooklyn, but he was from Kentucky, was William Augustus Jones. Uh, the National Baptist Convention has a rich uh, preaching tradition, and uh, American Baptist College, uh, before that, Bishop College were very prominent in the development of, excuse me, in the development of some of these ministers. Who... Uh, uh, is- so knowing that history about the two conventions, how can that kind of shed some light on on what we're dealing with today, still dealing with racial issues and those things? How can the history help guide us in the present? I, I think it can help um, us to have an appreciation of kind of a larger fraternal uh-huh. fellowship of, of followers of Christ. I mean, there was a day when, uh, you know, Southern Baptist meetings would be, would have, uh, again, greetings from a brother from the Assemblies of God, a brother from the National mm-hmm. Baptist Convention, maybe a Methodist brother. And I think in standing for biblical truth, uh, we, we should always be open to fellowship and um, collaborating with other Bible-believing Christ followers beyond our denominational bounds. And um, certainly that history reflected um, a time when there was fraternal fellowship with Baptists beyond just our particular denominational uh, boundaries. Good. Uh, as we, as we look to dig into that history, you mentioned uh, your chapter in the book, what are some other resources we can look to? Um, Duke university uh, has several readers that just have uh, primary source material on African-American Christianity or History of the Black Church. Um, they're they're a little bit dated, but they're primary sources. So 
Um, they were, they, they've been helpful all along. Um, I was a student of, uh, Tom Nettles. So I think you start with this primary sources and then you play around with secondary sources. Right. So I, I rarely recommend secondary sources. Right. Then, uh, and you said through Duke, that's the best place to get those. Is there a national Baptist yes. archives or anything like that? Oh, oh yes. Sure. Oh yes. We, um, the national Baptist archives are in Nashville and then we ourselves, the Southern Baptist convention, again, yes. man, we had that partnership in theological education. We have an mm-hmm. extensive, uh, collection of African-American Baptist resources there in Nashville at the uh, uh, Historical Library and Archives. Yes. And I know um, before his retirement, Brother Bill, uh, wow, yeah, we have, we have a wonderful collection there. And I know from experience, if you email Dr. Taffy Hall, who's there now, she's always helpful in getting articles and things back. And, and, yes. Uh, it's a great, a great archives we have there. Uh, Tell me about if if uh, if I want to read a biography of 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 someone or or learn some about that history. What's a good place to go to? Um, actually, organizationally, a good biography is a biography of uh, Nanny Helen's Burroughs. Yes, because she was involved in a lot of the organizational structure of the National Baptist Convention, and you could see how it works and how a lot of it was laid out uh, similarly to a lot of things we do. Um, you could also also see some of the differences. Um, it's amazing how one or two little things kind of sets can set the tone yeah. for a denomination's uh, uh, culture and character. Uh, for example, um, until recent, until their recent history, they didn't have term limits. And so you could have a long, empowered, entrenched president, right. which is not possible in the Southern Baptist Convention because we change our convention president every year, every yeah. two at the most. Um, so that was a distinction. And then also organizationally, um, our trustee system and the interlocking with the executive committee and uh, whatever that legal term is for who owns corporations uh those things have worked differently for us to give us a certain level of accountability because through the 20th century when you see splits in black baptist life um unfortunately the splits are never along theological lines it's always it was always just disagreements organizationally and sometimes even just personalities and so uh in in the 20s there's disagreement about publishing and revenue from the publishing house so then you get national baptist convention usa which is the parent body then you get national baptist convention of america and then in 1961 there's disagreement about uh how to engage the civil rights movement um not in as individuals but organizationally like would the denomination have any actual role and then you have the progressive National Baptist split off with uh, Gardner Taylor, Martin Luther King, and others. And so um, it's interesting to read, like in her bio, that she's she's been in so involved, and in, um, she was so involved in so many organizational levels. You get a good um, a good snapshot of organizational life. Um, there's a lot of National Baptist stuff. Um, I mean, I read I, I read books, but I also read footnotes, and so. Mm-hmm. There's great National Baptist Convention footnotes in um, Taylor Branch's uh, series on Martin Luther King. Um, Any kind of, uh, uh, I think it's three or four, it's a multi-volume series on Martin Luther King and uh, and the Civil Rights Movement. 
but there's, uh, but he, you know, King is a Baptist preacher. And so he, there's tons of National Baptist footnotes in there and great references. And then also in that art, the chapter I wrote in Nettles, I made uh, Nettles uh, Fresh Strip, I made uh, constant references to the, um, to the uh, National Baptist Voice, which was their, uh, the National Baptist Magazine, excuse me, which was the early source um, that they published. Um, and I do have good, I do have, uh, um, I hope, some helpful footnotes in that Nettles chapter that you might follow out regarding the magazine and then also regarding those source documents. So you mean to tell me that some denominations split over politics and it's not over theology? I, nah. <laughs> it's a good thing we've grown past that, huh? It's a good thing we grow. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and it's uh, uh, yeah, organizationally, it, it, yeah. it was really, it's really sad to look at that through the 20th century. Yeah. Now, when they say uh, progressive Baptist convention, is that does that word mean what we would think it would mean today, or would um, and others? Well, it, it didn't mean anything theologically. It meant they wanted to be progressive in how they engaged the civil rights movement. So. Uh, and, you know, they kept the rest of their names. So Progressive National Baptist Convention, they're like, we're National Baptists, just like these other brethren. Now, over time, um, the character of those two things, those two right. conventions has, has is, is different theologically. But in the 60s, no, they just meant a right. more progressive methodology to how they wanted to engage the uh, organizations of the civil rights movement. Uh, um, you, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I mentioned E.C. Morris as the founding president. Yeah. I, did, I failed to mention the most prominent president who really put his stamp on the convention and was longstanding was J.H. Jackson of yeah. uh, Chicago, Illinois. You uh, mentioned a, a couple of times about the, at the reorganization at the end of the conservative resurgence. Did yes. that affect relations between SBC and NBC, or uh, I know the SBC used to have focused African-American departments like Emmanuel McCall and other men like that. Yeah. Did that change? Um, that affected relationships in that there wasn't this common uh, more than half of a century partnership to kind of anchor the interaction. Um, unfortunately, by that time, um, you know, obviously, you know, the context of biblical authority and inerrancy with the conservative resurgence. Uh -huh. uh, by that time, some of the leadership at American Baptist College uh, was a little more interactive with uh, Vanderbilt Divinity School and, and other people in the Nashville area uh, other than Southern Baptists. And so at that point, there were some, um, you know, so for the scan, the span of the 20th century, the 20s into the 80s, you know, there was theological continuity. But at some point, there started to be less of that theological continuity um, uh, as the uh, divinity school at Vanderbilt began to have more influence in the uh, life of American Baptist College. After the resurgence, did the, the home mission board and others contend, continue a focused work among African-Americans or did that phase out too? No, they did. And the, by then, um, when, you know, when you think about the 1980s, you know, that's 30 years after the 50s, 20 years after the 60s, there's much more of a cadre and cohort of African-American congregations in Southern Baptist life. Um, and then after that, there starts to be 
um, African-American graduates of our six Southern Baptist, uh, well, wasn't six, of our Southern Baptist seminaries and things like that. So, yeah, no, things begin to, uh, there's still, you know, outreach into uh, all areas with the gospel, but it just shifts from more of a partnership emphasis with the um, uh, National Baptist Convention to more of dealing with uh, black Baptists that they themselves and their congregations are part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And then obviously after the 60s, when the federal government begins to change immigration policies, right. then that spans obviously even beyond uh, black Baptists or reaching out in, in African-American areas to reaching out to all kinds of people as they begin to gather in the United States. What are some lessons that, uh, that the convention, the Southern Baptist Convention as a whole could learn from our brothers in the NBC? What would be something they would have to teach us? Um, <clears throat> well, one thing that I really value in much of National Baptist life, uh, particularly as a child, I would grow, go to conventions. Uh, I mean, as a younger minister, I go to conventions with my late pastor. Uh, there's a high value on the authority of the word of God, the authority of preaching and the authority of the pulpit. Um, you know, I find myself sometimes having to encourage brothers to give priority to sermon preparation and brothers to give priority to the focusing on their pulpit ministry. Um, you know, we have contended energetically for the authority of scripture and, um, it seems like an empty contention if our pulpits aren't undergirded by a ministry that stands upon the sufficiency of scripture, uh, meaning that you want to preach the Bible and it's clear that the Bible is the driving force in your pulpit ministry. So the, uh, the pulpit and the Bible have been very prominent, very strong in national Baptist life. And I value that. Uh, secondly, I just value, I think they've had a very, um, there's never been a struggle between loving God and loving your neighbor. Um, you know, some, some portions, some parts of Christianity seem to struggle to uh, obey the great commandment as Jesus has given it and uh, creating false dichotomies sometimes between loving God and loving people, uh, loving our neighbor. And so I think they've done a good job of that. And then also, um, there's all kind of suffering in the world. Um, there's all kind of suffering in life. Uh, you know, we're dealing with people who deal with trauma in our congregation. Sometimes people who come from broken backgrounds. And I think from the beginning, even before black Baptists, just, just black Christianity in America has had a certain kind of existential biblically based theodicy that I think sometimes can be helpful for the broader church. Um, if you've not been in a background that has included any kind of like suffering or engagement with God in the midst of suffering. Um, obviously that's not unique to the black churches, but it's been unique to that experience here in America. But, yeah. you know, I think there's things we can learn about the Odyssey from Christians in China and from Christians in the Middle East, places where Christians have been followers of God and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they haven't necessarily been, on the top of society or had things going their way. I think in much of the Western world and certainly in North America, uh, Christianity has been the, the religion uh, of the top side of society yeah. where many places um, it hasn't, and certainly wasn't in the, um, 
in the black church experience in the U.S. So I think those three things are helpful. The, va- the, 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 the weight and the value and the prominence of the pulpit, um, the, uh, the love your neighbor, love, love God, love your neighbor, the great commandment kind of emphasis of the black church. And then also just the doctrine of theodicy. We, 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 as, as we in a fallen world, as we're affected by sin, we must have um, a God honoring theodicy that we might worship God and be obedient to him in trying situations. I think that uh, last one, especially as important as, as uh, cultural Christianity loses its cachet more and more. And so we have yeah. a lot to learn from those around us who have already been living that way for a long time. Uh, I'm interested. Uh, you, you talked about the, the Dr. King and the Progressive Baptist and their uh, split over how to deal with culture and those things. So what's something we can learn from the, from the fights we're still having today? A lot of them are about political <coughs> politics and how to engage culture and those things. Yeah, I think, um, I think. I don't mean to put you on the spot. I think we, no, no, I think we still have that struggle. Uh-huh. Um, for example, you can talk to someone about um, an issue in their community. I'll give you an example. When I was president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, uh, we called state legislators, we called state representatives, we encouraged 750,000 Kentucky Baptists, we encouraged them. Let your politicians know we don't want additional casinos. Right. We don't want casino gambling in Kentucky. Um, now, I have friends that said, man, that's great that y'all did that. But then I also have friends that say, I don't, I don't know about the church being involved in politics like that. Right. So I think the question of the, 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 the ecclesiological question of personal civic engagement of an individual follower of Christ and over against civic engagement of a uh, congregationalized group of Christians. I I, I think that's still a struggle that that people deal with. I mean, I go to the, uh, I live here in the DC area now, so I'm at the March for Life and I'm in the midst of a lot of Roman Catholics. I'm at the Supreme Court. Then we go through the Congress and all those kind of things. And, you know, I have Christian friends who believe that um, abortion is sin and it's the taking of a life. Uh, but they also, but, but they don't, you know, they're not sure about Christians uh, walking through the Senate or Christians walking through the House. I, I think we still struggle with um, civic engagement yeah. as regards the individual Christian. And then secondly, as regards congregationalized Christians. Or like the example I gave you in Kentucky, uh, a state convention of Christians. Right. That's good. So uh, we've talked a lot about the past. Tell me something you're, uh, you're excited about for the future of the SBC and the NBC. I am very excited about Dr. Ronnie Floyd's Vision 2025 plan, which he's vision, which he's uh, kind of collaborated with our North American Mission Board and our IMB and talking about the nations and 500 additional missionaries by 2025. Um, One thing I think 
you can trace historically, whether you go talk about 1814, 1845, 1895, anytime Baptists are talking about missions and the nations and the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have a better chance of being unified than we're talking about other things. And so if the IMB and the executive committee and missionaries and the nations are the primary thing we're talking about, uh, I'm very excited about that. Uh, I'm very excited about the current president of um, the National Baptist Convention, Dr. Jerry Young. Um, he, I've had some interaction with him and Dr. Ronnie Floyd when Dr. Floyd was president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, we did several events in Jackson, Mississippi area. Um, he is a strong Bible-believing brother who was a went to Reform Theological Seminary uh, there in Jackson. And um, I'm real excited just about the theological fidelity of their leadership. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not in tune with a lot of the intimacies of what's going on in congregational life, I mean, in convention life right now on the inside, but I'm very excited about uh, Dr. Young as their president. Um, if we want to see gospel change uh, in the United States, uh, millions and millions of people, uh, we need fruitful Southern Baptist congregations. We need fruitful National Baptist congregations. Uh, we need fruitful congregations of other denominations who are preaching the gospel and making disciples. So uh, I'm thankful for uh, our leadership, and I'm thankful for the leadership that they have there in the uh, National Baptist Convention. And anytime Baptists are talking about missions instead of other things, that's good. I wrote, I wrote it down, and that'll be on Twitter later. That's good stuff. Amen. I uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out to stop and talk with us about some of this history and, and just thank you so much for coming on. God bless you. Thank you so much for the invitation, brother. Well, there you have it, folks. That was a great history lesson about the National Baptist Convention. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope if you like this podcast, you share and leave ratings for us on iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure and tell people about this. There's always more to learn. I hope you find yourself uh, using some of what he talked about to dig down deep, find some of those resources, primary resources, as he said, and read them for yourself. 